Blog Talk Radio. Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. Just hold on one second. I'm sorry tonight, guys. We are definitely having some problems. Um, the call-in number, I'm sorry, my host call-in number has changed. The call-in number for the guests and for my live guests tonight who will be calling in is still 805-243-1320. So I apologize about that. Again, the call-in number right now is 805, and I'm just emailing this to Jerry because I thought it had changed. Uh, 805-243-1320. So tonight I am really excited. We have an amazing guest coming on. And um, sorry if I'm a little distracted for a moment, but uh, his name is Jerry Castaldo, and he is an awesome entertainer and author. And tonight we are going to be talking about his book, Brooklyn, New York, A Grim Retrospective. Um, Hold on one second. Okay. So anyway, I'm sorry, I got a call coming in on this other line right now. And again, I really apologize. There's just some confusion with this station tonight. Um, Again, Jerry, if you're listening in, please call in. Is 805-243-1320. Again, call in to 805-243. I'm just typing this out. 1320. Okay, so as I mentioned, uh, Jerry's going to be coming on momentarily, an amazing entertainer. He's going to talk about his life story tonight. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him and introduce him prior to bringing him on. So if you're new tonight and tuning into the show, I always like to give people a little bit of some background information on my radio show and tell people how I started the show. started it about a year and a half ago with the concept in mind that I really wanted to create a forum where I could bring people on in the entertainment industry to help support and promote them. A little bit about myself, I have my doctorate degree in clinical psychology, and uh, that's what I do full time as I work as a clinical psychologist, but my other passion is the entertainment industry. So I always just enjoy interviewing people. Um, I'm a solo artist with an album out, and I write for some entertainment magazines, and then I also do the radio show, as I said, to help support people. Um, I independently do everything on my own, so I know how difficult it can sometimes be for people to get involved in the entertainment industry, how challenging it can be. So again, you're going to get a really good taste on my radio show of what these people's lives are like, what it's like to be in their profession. And uh, if you want to call in tonight, you can call in. Again, the number is 805-243-1320, and Jerry will be calling in in a moment. So let me give you some information about him. A couple of things I'd also like for people to just keep in mind on my show is that although I mentioned I'm a clinical psychologist, the show is meant purely for entertainment purposes. Um, a lot of my guests like to joke around with me and say that they need some uh, formal therapy, but unfortunately, that's not the premise of this show. So we will joke around sometimes. Uh, we will talk about psychological concepts and things like that, but there will be no formal therapy being done on the air. And also, since a lot of my guests have some very entertaining, humiliating, and embarrassing stories sometimes, I always uh, like for them to be able to talk about them, but just to keep any identifying information um, anonymous because I don't want to personally embarrass or humiliate anyone on the show. Okay, so the chat room is open. Please call in. I am a one-person show, so I really want to hone in on the interview with Jerry and uh, devote all of my attention to him tonight. So let me give you some information about him, um, and then we're going to bring him on. So I was just fascinated by this book. I've been reading it for the past couple of weeks uh, on my nights off when I get in from work. And I have to tell you, uh, especially being a psychologist, this book, I'm telling you, everyone has to go out and pick this up, Brooklyn, New York, A Grim Retrospective. It literally is an emotional roller coaster. Um, He takes you on everything from moments in his life where he faces death on numerous occasions. Uh, I was anxious when I was reading the book. I was excited at times. There were moments where there was definitely a lot of humor and comedy involved in it. But, I mean, he really helps you delve into his life. I mean, I really could kind of put myself in his shoes. And there were moments where I was having my own flashbacks, even though I have not experienced uh, half the things that Jerry has experienced in his life. So, Please pick it up on Amazon. It's an amazing book. There's a lot of 
great reviews on it, and uh, we're going to talk about that tonight, as well as uh, his entertainment career and his performances and all his upcoming shows. So everyone, check him out. Go to jerrycastaldo.com, and I'm going to bring him on now. And he's going to think I'm crazy because I gave him the wrong number initially. Jerry, how are you? Hi, Carrie. It's Jerry. And, uh, yes, I always like the excitement of calling into a live show in 55 seconds and then getting a message saying, here's the new call-in number. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry, Jerry. (laughs) We'll talk off the air. You know, I've been uh, having a lot of uh, stressful moments in my life, so to speak, as you can appreciate. So, yeah, it was weird. I'm looking at the host call-in, which is me, and I see it's changed. I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, I just... I don't know why I just put two and two together, and I thought it was the same number for you, but my number changed. No, no, no. Isn't that why didn't. people love? It's oh okay. My people God. love live radio. <laughs> they love live television, as evidenced by the Oscars last night. And uh, who was that that tripped <laughs> on the stairs? But you know, it, it's, uh, it's uh, everything's fine. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Um, I literally <laughs> just finished doing a one-hour performance out here. I don't know where I am. It's very dark. Uh, there are no lights. It's, I, I'm in the Pocono Mountains somewhere. I just did. Um, I do about 300 uh, one-hour shows a year That's around the state of New Jersey, Florida, and this high roller guy from Atlantic City who had seen me years ago said, "Yeah, come out to my house. We got a special party." And I mean, it, this house is so you know large. I couldn't even find my way in. But uh, wow. I just finished that. I'm back out. I'm in my car, actually. Okay. Um, so I'm glad that I have a signal, though. I just put a Galaxy Note 2. So I'm looking at this phone, and I'm nice. saying, all right, it's supposed to be a good phone. Let's hope the towers are not too far away. But um, thanks for that nice build-up about the book. I really oh, appreciate yeah. that. Oh, my. Like I said, I'm just, I mean, I'm just anxious thinking about it right now and talking to you about it tonight. I, Really, I mean, you really can, if people read this, as I said, I mean, you really are feeling like you're in your shoes. And you really take everyone, through every moment, it's very heartfelt. Like I said, it's very, um, what's it called, entertaining at times and, you know, very disheartening at times, too, with all the ups and downs. Well, let me, let me, point, out, let me, let me point out to your audience that um, many people, th- you know, they feel that memoir category and biography are often very boring books, even when, you know, the, the, the person is a public figure who's famous. I am far from famous. You know, I have a little notoriety around New York because I've been knocking around singing since I'm a kid. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not I'm not a household name. I'm not. So, so some people would roll their eyes and say, well, bios and memoir are boring enough when it's a famous person. Why should I read a book by a guy that I've never heard of? Now, the reason this book is a little bit different is, you know, I was severely addicted to drugs and alcohol, you know, from the time I was 14 or 15 years old until I was about 30 years old. So I didn't waste time writing about, well, I was born on a snowy night of November 19th. You know, I got right <laughs> to where the interesting stuff happened. And, right. you know, from, from until I was 16, I was like any other kid. You know, you go through your different experiences. So I start the book at 16 years old when I'm in the, the throes of addiction. And as you know from the first sentence of the first paragraph of the first page, I am, it, it's, it's a violent opening. I'm, I'm getting stabbed through the window of a car in Coney Island as I'm trying to fend off this drug dealer with a carpenter's hammer. And I got this jailbird next to me, this older guy, telling me, hit him, hit him. So, you, you know, that, that the book... Uh, is is propelled constantly throughout like that until, you know, I finally recover. The book was very exciting for me to write because, um, it, it, first of all, it was an explanation to all the people I grew up in Brooklyn to let them know, hey, I was not the violent, criminal, crazy monster that people may have thought. You know, I was an altar boy. I wanted to be a priest. I was a little eager. I was a good kid. It's just that once I went that direction of the drugs, and I immediately tried to stop, and I could, I just couldn't. You know, there was, there right. was no getting away so from let's that. Let's definitely, so, as we're talking about your book, let's definitely digress a little bit and talk about your life too, because I definitely want people to learn 
you know, I don't want to give too much away about the book. I want people to buy your book and really, you know, delve into this thing. So what's interesting, if I can make a comment, just my own initial impression, I thought it was really interesting. You know, you're saying, that's right, you were a good kid and you were an altar boy. But interestingly, you also mentioned at some point that, you know, people did, did fear you. You know what I mean? Like they, they looked at you as kind of this fearful person and didn't on some occasions did you like that a little bit? You know, like you had a little bit of this ego. People looked at you as though, you know, you were this big person or someone to be feared or envied. Well, well, I was terrorized as a kid. I mean, I grew up in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. This was an Italian, you know, neighborhood that not my family, but many of the family, many of the kids that I w- w- grew up with, that, you know, I'm 11, 12, 13 years old their uncles or their fathers were involved with the mob and organized crime. So, of course, who do we all look up to? We're all looking up to, you know, guys that are doing, you know, that that kind of thing. So, of course, uh, many of them aspire to be like their uncles and dads. So what would they do? They, they'd act like the gangster in the playground. And I was a right. good kid. I, I didn't want to fight with anybody. But, you know, after getting punched in the face every day and, and, and me and my brother would be, you know, terrorized by these kids, I just said enough, and I basically morphed into this type of guy like they were, only I wanted, I wanted to be more scary than them. So I started acting out, and I started, mm-hmm. you know, committing crimes and doing things. I guess now they would call it street cred. I guess, right. you know, we didn't have that term in the 70s. But, you know, I, I can't even tell you the thing, and I don't even write about in my book, some of those things, because, you know, my mother's saying, hey, there's cold case files, you can't. So I'll just say that, right. you know, I got violent, and I wasn't like that. But but right. being on the drugs yeah. and the alcohol allowed me to play that character much better and more convincingly because I, I became that character. Right. And also I think what you're talking about was it was a survival mechanism, correct? I mean, you're growing uh, up in this very difficult, violent town, right? Correct? I mean, and, and you have to survive some way if you're being bullied and, you know, picked on and beat right. up by all these people. Well, I like that the bullying thing is in the news now because I really feel bad for kids that are bullied because I was bullied mm-hmm. myself. And I remember the New York Post had interviewed me like back in the 80s and it was, a you know, they had asked about being bullied. And, and you know, it wasn't in, in the spotlight like it is now, but it's been going on since the beginning of time. Sure. And who hasn't been? You know, girls are bullied. And now you got cyberbullying. But with me, I just wasn't going to take it. So I, I was walking around and I was fighting. And as you read in my book, I mean, I'm scarred left and right. I've got scars on my oh face, gosh. on my chest, on my back. You shave my head, it looks like railroad tracks. I mean, stitches. Wow. So, you know, it's like... I, I was never that person, so I was always trying to get better, always trying to get better. I wanted to, to be a singer. I wanted to make a living in show business. As a preteen, I had a band, and, we, you know, we used to play around at block parties and school dances. But by the time I was, you know, 13 or 14 and hanging out with the wrong guys, I couldn't let them know I played the guitar right. and I sing. So I was hiding right. that. I didn't touch it for, for about five years. You know, I remember some of those guys came to my house. They were like, whose guitar is this? I said, oh, that's my brother's. You know? Right, but, uh, right. You know, so and then I finally like, meet, like, you know. As you're talking real quick, just digress, just to fill us in a little bit on, you know, what inspired you? What drove you growing up as a little kid to say, I want to be a performer? You know, I want to be a guitarist. Was it something on TV you were watching? Was it a Carrie, member? Carrie, I, I was in the first grade, and I was fantasizing about playing guitar and okay. singing, you know, just, yeah. You know, so I, I always feel like I'm in the right profession now because I don't know what the reasons are people get into show because they want to be famous or they or they think they're going to get rich. Me, I always loved music. I always loved singing. You know, at seven years old, I was fantasizing about it. By nine years old, I had a guitar that I didn't know how to play. By 10, my parents were nice enough to send me some guitar lessons for a year or two. Right. And by 11, I had a band. But, you know, but then this, this mob mentality of Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, you know, was prevalent. I need to protect myself. I got away from the music, but I always wish that, you know, I, I was trying to get better. I was trying to get away from these guys. And finally, when my life was in jeopardy, I, you know, I had to leave the country. So I joined the Army, went mm-hmm. over to Europe, and I figured, oh, this is good. Nobody knows me. I can sing. I can play my guitar. I can start. Unfortunately, when you're a drug addict and an alcoholic, you don't just stop 
because you changed countries. So as you read in my book, I was deported from Germany and I was, you know, I flipped my car coming back from Paris and almost died. Mm -hmm. I I was locked up in the nut house over there. You know, I (laughs) I hung myself. I mean, it was it was horrible. No, no, laugh because no, 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 no. You can laugh because a lot of people feel guilty about laughing at parts of my book. But you know, I have a sense of humor, and it is friggin' funny when I think back to it. It's like my God. But you know, when I finally was you know tossed from the army, like the commandant where I was stationed, he said Mm -hmm. to me, he said, Jerry, I know you're a good guy. You're actually a good soldier, but you're out of control. You got these problems, and he had given me so many chances that right. they had to let me go. Fortunately, it wasn't a dishonorable discharge, so I still have my benefits, and I love the VA because they've helped me so many. They've saved my life several times, as I write in my book, you know, with when I had my broken neck and they, they operated. Oh, my gosh, but, yeah. But when, I, but when I came back to the United States now, I said, all right, I'm going to try. So within a week, I had a job on Wall Street, and I figured, all right, you know, maybe the music thing isn't realistic, and I really tried to become a stockbroker. But there, as you read in the book, there were some complications on my lack of education. I made mm-hmm. Brooklyn Technical High School, but I didn't attend. At the ninth grade, I dropped out. So even though I had the smarts, they didn't want to sponsor me for the registered rep test to become a uh, stockbroker. So I said, let me go back to the music. So, so that's where I was in my early 20s. And I did get some notoriety, and I did you know, do some, some good jobs and start yeah, singing a lot. About, but, please, yeah, tell the audience as you're doing that, tell some stories because, you know, there were some really interesting moments, the Jerry Seinfeld moment, and I, I can't remember the name right now, but the, the guy that you were, you know, doing the physical uh, workout stuff with, that he was a very oh. reputable person. I mean, because those were some entertaining stories, and unfortunately, like you said, because of your drugs and the alcohol addiction, right. a lot of the relationships along the way were, you know, Sabotage because well, of well, yeah. your issues. Well, for the for our listeners now, if if I want to explain the timeline we're in, if I come back from the uh, from Europe from the army in my early twenties, after Wall Street doesn't you know help me get the education I think I thought I needed or they thought I needed. I I mean sales are sales. I could have sold. Working in a small club called Pips Comedy Club. And she said, Bay, and that's where David Brenner had started years ago. When Before there was a slew of comedy clubs in the 80s, there was, there was only one place, this Pips. And a lot of people used to be there. And uh, Andrew Dice Clay started there. I started doing shows there with him. And uh, Jerry Seinfeld, I didn't meet till later. He was actually at Pips like two years before me, then went to Catch a Rising Star in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So I never crossed paths with Jerry Seinfeld when he was at Pips, I came two years later, but I was in there with Andrew Dice Clay and some other comics. And then um, uh, a couple of years later, I met Jerry, and that's when there's a whole chapter in the book called, you know, Comedian Jerry Seinfeld Offers Me Hope. And we got to know each other, but because of my drug addiction, you know, that relationship fizzled with me being physically removed from his dressing room at the old Caroline's Comedy Club Right. 8th Avenue in Chelsea. Now it's in Times Square. But, you know, I mean, the, the stories are sad, they're tragic, but they're funny. But ultimately, I'm still alive. I'm still here. I'm sober for 23 years. I don't even have an urge to drink or drug because I know that I will die and I won't have a life. So I have a real right. happy life now. I do my little shows. No, I'm not famous. I mean, you know, last year I opened for Lou Christie and I was hired to open for Maureen McGovern and, and Jay and the Americans and uh, nice. who's that other one? Uh, uh, the guy that did Jerry Lewis's son, Gary Lewis and the Playboys, and you know, so so I'll do bigger shows like that on the road. But the, but the reality of my daily existence is like you know tonight going out to this big house in the Poconos for a private event. I don't even know where I am tomorrow. I look at my computer and and I'm just somewhere every day, 20 to 30 right. times a month. And, but I think, Jerry, give yourself, times. and again, this is my psychology side, you know, give yourself credit. You are very established. I mean, you've come so far. As you said, you're doing over 300 shows a year. That is extremely impressive. I mean, you have people out there that are, you know, been doing this for years and don't even do as many as you're doing. So I think that's really impressive, and you should be very proud of yourself with everything you've accomplished. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that, and I am proud of myself. But the problem is, you know, there's a whole community in, in mm-hmm. Manhattan. It's it's the Broadway-slash-cabaret community. And in okay. the early 80s, you know, I, as I write in the book, I went out there, and Kurt Davis from the New York Post was the guy that was, 
you know, first give me some lukewarm reviews and they want to give me a good review at the end. Um, th- those, those clubs, you know, they don't really pay unless you're a name. So, like, for okay. instance, there's a new club where Studio 54 used to be. It's called 54 Below. So I know, um, you know, th- they're having people there that are, you know, Patty LuPone from Avita. you remember her. You know, they'll have her, and she can fill the club and make money. But when you're not a name, you really can't make a living in Manhattan. So that's why I'm on the road doing these my little <laughs> shows all over New Jersey, Florida, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those cabaret people, they poo-hoo me. Like, you know, for instance, I did an assisted living facility last week. And, uh, you know, if they have a nice room to perform in, I went in. It was a small crowd, maybe 75, 100 people. I did an nice. hour show. That's what I do. I, you know, and these, these people are like, oh, well, yeah, Jerry, he sings for old people. And I, and I find that offensive. And it, it's funny because half of them are doing vanity shows in Manhattan where they're not really making money, but it's a big formal. Um, right, you know, right, 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 right. Well, you know, so you're I in a club. That, Does that make it, you know what I'm saying? It's, I'm not putting them down in any way. It's just that I wish they would lighten up on me and stop poo-hooing what I do. I'm paying my mortgage with the, these shows, and I haven't been out of work since I started it just about – the first year I got sober, I immediately started working for uh, four months wow. later. So it's almost 22 and a half years I have not been out of work as a singer without doing weddings and without doing right. bars where I'm I'm out there two in the morning. So I'm not bragging, but I, I need to get this out because, you know, a lot of well, people, like I, I said, they're pooh-hooing what I'm doing. I think that's important what you're doing. I think you can educate the audience and people listening, especially people that might just be starting out. And just to digress, I mean, and we'll talk off the air sometime, I totally know what you're talking about. I did everything on my own when I put an album out as a solo artist. And, you know, in the beginning, right, you think all the glitz and the glory and, oh, I want to be on the road and making millions. And when you're in the trenches, you know what I mean, doing the grunt work by yourself, you really get a good appreciation for what it's all about. And well, so I'm laughing, as you that, say, that, what, what you just said about doing the grunt work, I, I laugh yeah. because, you know, when it's New Year's Eve, I did four one-hour shows starting at 11 to 12, then 2 to 3, 4 to 5. And then, wow. you know, and then, like, it's, and then New Year's Day, I did three. So I did, like, seven one-hour shows in 48 hours. And, and I'm loading the van, and it's dark, and, it, you know, it's snowing, and, and my fingers are freezing. And I'm thinking of these cabaret people that are poo-hooing me. And and they're, you know, most of them are, you know, a lot of them are being supported by somebody else. <laughs> There's somebody, you know, their husband or their exactly. wife is paying for them to do their shows every three to six months in Manhattan. Go, oh, come to my performance. And I'm talking about, hey, wait a minute. What do you pull? I'm out here in the trenches. I'm, I'm <laughs> killing myself over here. I know. But, but I'm, I'm not complaining, and I don't want to come off as, as me putting them no. down. People will say, with it, but I need to defend myself, and, and I've got a forum now, so you're going to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, but yeah. I think people need to understand when you really have done that work and then you get to where you're at, you just have a, bit, you just have a greater appreciation for what it's all about. And now reflecting right. back, it's funny. Like, I'll reflect back now, and, you know, maybe I didn't want to be working in, you know, prison as a forensic psychologist. Now I reflect back and I say, you know what? I have my income, I have my job, and you know what, if I if I do some recordings and I can get a song on the radio, that's good enough for me. I, I You know, I would not survive on the road knowing the type of person I am. So I really developed that appreciation. And I think people need to keep it in perspective and be open-minded that just because your name might not be in stars every night doesn't mean you can't be successful. And I think that's really well, important what you're saying. Well, let me, since you mentioned the radio, let, let me mention something that was pretty exciting for me recently. Okay. Um, I had written a song called When Did You Stop Loving Me, which was a ballad uh, that I wrote many years ago. And I decided now because, you know, with the advent of video and YouTube, I have access to a beautiful video production building that I acquired about a year ago. So I've been releasing very high quality, high def full band videos over the last year, you know, some acting monologue scenes. I did Kansas City with a full band. And um, about four months ago, I did Falling Slowly from the Broadway show Once. That cast of uh, Once are going to be at uh, 54 Below, I think, March 3rd, by the way. I'm planning on going over there. But, um, you know, I, I actually decided to redo this song because, you know, my voice, 
I feel it's gotten better. The arrangement was a little dated. So I redid some of the stuff, and I wanted to make a, a music video out of it. And um, the Howard Stern show has a character, Marianne from Brooklyn, is uh-huh. one of the persons. That, and yep. she had agreed to play my girlfriend in the music video. So right, right before Hurricane Sandy ravaged us up here in the Northeast, mm-hmm. I had, um, you know, the Howard Stern show was saying, give us some video, give us some video. I said, if the video is not done, we didn't finish the song. I didn't finish, you know, the new arrangement. They said, just give us anything or, or do something. So Marianne and I uh, shot some love scenes um, <laughs> to the music video. They chopped it up and then they put it on the air on Sirius Radio and I knew it oh, was coming awesome. on the air, but yeah, I didn't. I knew it was coming, but I, you know, you believe it when you see it because you know how this business is. And I was driving right. home from a show on the Garden State Parkway and listening to the Howard Stern show, and then I said, "Howard, 100 News," and then all of a sudden, I heard my song and I hear my voice singing, and and it was the interview that I had done. I did a phone interview with um, uh, one of their Howard 100 reporters, and. You were. The whole thing was there. It's like a four to five minute interview with clips of my song. That's so awesome. that's on YouTube now. Yeah. So so they said they said uh, when is the video? I said give me till December. So of course Hurricane Sandy causes so much uh, wreaks havoc here. And then mm-hmm. December came, which I had like fifty shows to do in December. And then oh January, God. unfortunately, my mother got sick, so I'm dealing with it. my mother in and out of the hospital for the last two months. So I have not finish the video but we plan on releasing that video in a month or two and and the house iron show claims they're going to bring me back so you know but that's but again awesome. uh, it, it was exciting but that doesn't mean that anything's going to happen like someone's oh wow well, yeah no that doesn't mean i made it or i'm going to make a million dollars it just means that the song i wrote is on howard stern and you know i'm realistic you know something could right. happen you know but I, you Something know, could happen, but again, it's also going to get you more attention. People are going to learn about who who Jerry Costello is. Like you said from that news brief, I'm a huge Stern fan. Um, I listen to oh, him every are you? day. You're a Stern oh, fan? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I'm afraid to ask women. So many women are like, do you like Howard Stern? I can't stand that guy. I, I better mean, be you know, careful. Really... Oh, no. I love him. No, but Kerry, I mean, you know from being a listener, if we had to explain him to people, he's a good guy. He's a family man. He never cheated exactly. on his wife. He brought up his girls. He, he just, he had a shtick, and his shtick was being over the top and risque, and he's calmed down a lot as he's gotten yes. older, and he's actually a smart guy, and it's a good show, and I, I just, speaking I of it. that, did you, can I just go off subject for a minute? Yeah, I couldn't believe reading Twitter and Facebook this morning, why does everybody, and again, I'm getting back to these Broadway people, why do they, there was a bunch of people, I'm not going to name names, but there's this okay. one Broadway composer. They start in, oh, did you, did you see Shirley Bassey on the Oscars last night? She's so great. She's hitting a high C. And then another guy who's a composer, no, that wasn't a high C. That was a, a natural, yeah. And they're arguing. And then another girl comes in, well, I, I had my piano and I hit the key. And they're all arguing. And then they're talking about how, Jennifer Hudson was singing out of tune and how Adele wasn't singing at full force. Maybe she, you know, cause she just had the surgery on her throat maybe, but it's like, okay. why do people have to sit there and take a part? It's like destroying the Oscars. Like no matter how good you are, how rich you are, how famous you are, how talented you are, you can have all of these people picking you apart and telling you that you're horrible. And it's like, well, do you want my psychological you know, impression here? You want my analysis? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, because I, and I love social media, and I just get a kick out of reading this stuff, because it's almost like a Seinfeld episode right now. You're like, well, why is this person saying that? And why? I mean, these are people, unfortunately, who are very insecure, and despite how good they really think they are underneath the surface, these are people that feel very insecure and empty. They might boast and present themselves as this kind of, you know, egomaniac or narcissistic person, oh, I'm better than you, but really, if you're going out doing stuff like that, you're actually, you know, you're a little empty on the inside, and there's not much going on. So they're not as well. Confident. Look, I, I, I don't want to come. I don't want to come off as like I'm the greatest person in the world. Like, oh, Jerry, no, no, no. we're just, so we're high. just processing I, uh, it, it, no, something no. that you visualized. <laughs> but but I have to tell you that because as I was reading, and then and then each person that posted, I would go to their Facebook page, and sure enough, they were respected 
accomplished musicians. Like one guy was composing for film and Broadway right. and the other guy, you know, right. the, the pops. So these were, and they weren't kids. They were in their fifties and sixties. So these are like oh professionals. Oh my God, that's even, that's even one, funnier. <laughs> well, one, one guy goes like this. He goes, he goes, I'm telling you right now, it, it's a, it's an A natural. He says, I have perfect pitch. The other guy goes, I have perfect pitch too. <laughs> and if, you, you know, it reminded me of kids in the sandbox or something. No, well, that's it's my it toy, is. you know. Right. Oh my God! It was, it was it was disgusting. Actually, it was like again. I'm not painting myself to be like the perfect man, and I'm so in tune with everything, and I, I, I'm the, you know the perfect human being. But why tear people? Like why don't you just watch the show and enjoy it? I mean, exactly. All right. So some exactly. people like this person more than. But why have to point out that poor Jennifer Hudson is singing, uh, you know, out of tune? I mean, she won her Oscar. She, you know, she she she. Look, good for so, her. Remember. You know, anybody remember. The other part, Jerry, is they're jealous. I mean, it's it's not just a matter of these people not being as confident as they portray themselves to be or, you know, being insecure. You know, the, the flip side of it is they're very envious because they would love to be in that situation, and unfortunately they're not. You know, so you have to, yeah, I'm, yeah, again, Carrie, I'm talking in generic terms. Go ahead. Yeah, but Carrie, I, I, I'm, I, I like the word envy. Like, I like the word envy. I Jealous is like a negative thing. Like, yeah. I would envy them. Yes, I'd like to be where they are, too, where Jennifer Hudson is. But I don't wish her harm or right. I want to put her down. And, oh. and, and, and again, I'm not paying myself to be perfect. But why aren't these people embarrassed? I would be embarrassed to show the oh, world, look at right. how jealous I am and look at how bitter I am. I mean, the well, they don't, but break, remember, they're let, not looking. They're not looking at it that way. They're looking at it as they are critiquing, and they know better than these other people do. So they think that the information they're actually putting out there is like educational. And hey, look, and I know what really, whatever, like you said, a C major is, or you know, uh, an A chord is. So they're doing that in a way to try to say, hey, look at them. These people don't know what they're doing. This is what it's supposed to be. I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I, I got limited <laughs> time with you. Instead of talking about my book, I'm talking about how Facebook infuriates well, no, me. That's okay. Everybody... You're expressing your frustrations. We'll get back on topic. What, what, <laughs> let me tie that into my, my life because I can't okay. easily tie that jealousy thing in. My, my thing is um, I, when I was a kid and a teenager and I was running wild in the streets on drugs and alcohol, a mm -hmm. lot of people shunned me. And as I got older, you know, I always wished that those people, you know, the girls, the guy, the boys, everybody, they would have known that that wasn't really me. So when I saw the reach and power of social media and the ability to start putting, you know, published works out there, I said, you know what, I'm going to write the book and hopefully maybe they'll read it. And it's sort of like that's what propelled me, like, because it's not easy to write a book. You've got to sit down, discipline. I sat there, you know, for a few thousand hours and I wrote this book because, I wanted to say, this is me. This is why I was like that. You understand? And it, it sort of felt good getting it out there. And, you know, a lot of people on um, Facebook, I have reconnected with many people from my childhood, from, and many of them have read it. So that, for me, is a success. Cool. I'm not making a million dollars off the book. The book has been number one in bios of entertainers, top rated. That doesn't mean best-selling. I want to point that out to people because... I don't want okay. people to think I'm trying to pull a fast one over their eyes. Uh, top rated means you have the most positive votes from, from readers. So I have over 300 five-star reviews on Amazon. So it, it was number one in bios of entertainers for three years until two weeks ago when that Housewives of Beverly Hill, Brandy Glanville, she released a book. And in, in, the last, in the last 10 days, she's got like 700 reviews and there's like 500 wow. five star reviews but there's also several one star reviews and if she keeps getting those one stars like she has she's going to fall behind me but right now she's ahead of me so okay. good for her you know whatever but anyway there are other categories on uh, Amazon where I'm still number one for instance substance abuse I'm number one and I have been for three years uh, I'm sorry let me nice. so I'm, I fell to number three today I'm number one in recovery okay. I, w I was number one in self-help. I mean, it was kind of funny to see it in the self-help section. But, you know, like it I said, this book, yeah, it was in seven different categories. It was number one simultaneously about a year ago. So, you know, overall, everybody likes the book. Um, I don't have a publicist. I don't have the powerful people I need behind me to get, like, you know, Brandy is doing the Hal Stern show last week. 
uh, they're, they're doing uh, Wendy Williams, they're doing Conan. I can't get on those shows because I don't have the powerful agent. No, let's digress for let's digress for one minute. You do everything on your own in terms of booking all your shows, managing yourself. I do everything, everything. Let me tell you, um, I had the rap office, Charles Rap Enterprises over there in, in Manhattan, who basically owned the Catskills in the 40s and 50s and 60s okay. until the Catskills kind of died out. They they were the ones like sending me on the road in the 90s. I would go down to Florida and do like a tour of shows and stuff. And, you know, even down there, I was dying out. They want to give me, like, a piano and a, and a drummer. Like, I'm like, where's the bass player? Where's the horns? You know, I have charts for a 12-piece orchestra. Nobody wants to pay. So, you know, I wound up just taking the, the by the reins, and, and that's it. I'm, I'm booking everything. And, you know, once in a while, like a promoter last year, the one that brought me down to North Carolina to open for uh, Luke Christie and Michael Amante, who, who's a great, great Italian uh, operatic type of singer. You know, those jobs come here and there, but mm-hmm. for the most part, 90% of the time, I'm promoting the book, I'm promoting my show, and it's it's exhausting, but I like my life. I mean, I'm happy because, you know, I'm 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 a drug addict to this day, and I'm an alcoholic to this day, but I'm not mm-hmm. using. So that's a happy life for me. Unfortunately, I'm dealing with some issues. My mom's sick, so, you know, we all have to face sure. that sooner or later. So. So that that's my life now. But I'm very happy with what I'm doing. And, now, uh, you know, let again. Me ask you, let me just ask you, like, more of a kind of a, a technical question. Why would, and this is just, you know, just out of curiosity, if anyone's listening in, what would make you want to just stay independent doing everything yourself versus maybe, you know, bringing someone on board, like you're saying, so that you could get on maybe the Howard Stern show? Well, or, no, or I mean, it's easier said than done. You can't right. just bring somebody on board. I mean, I've hired several people over the years to do, you know, you got to train them then to use the computer and how to, you know, sell. And I've had people work for me, but mm-hmm. nobody's talking like, you know, William Morris and CAA, nobody's coming down right. and, and handing your contract. I mean, it's not, you know, it, it's always a dream, but rather than sit there and wait and do a vanity show every three months in the Manhattan Cabaret, I'm out there singing every day. Oh, absolutely. I'm out there making my videos. I mean, those videos are coming fast and furious. If you go to YouTube and type in Jerry Castaldo, you know, you'll see the kind of stuff I've been putting out for the last 10, 11 months, and really good stuff. And um, I'm actually doing, uh, I'm going to release a monologue from Goodwill Hunting that Matt Damon did when they asked him uh, to work for the NSA. There's a great scene in there with the monologue. So I'm working on that now, as well as When Did You Stop Loving Me video, and doing the shows. And, um, you know, like, like I don't know, It's it's. I want to say hello to him. There's a woman that had um, Facebooked me, yes. and I think you saw it today. Mm-hmm. Now, it, her name is spelled M-A-R-Y-S-C. So I don't know if that's Mary Say or Marise. Yes, and then yep, I see. I'm looking at it right uh, now. I, I, on maybe I shouldn't say her last name, but <laughs> if you are listening out there, thank you so much for your support. I have not met this woman in person. She's a beautiful-looking woman who is a um, very well-educated. I was reading about her education at the Sorbonne. And she's a, um, I believe she's an entertainment lawyer living oh, wow. in Manhattan there with her husband. Very well educated, very well spoken, beautiful woman. And she's been so supportive. She read my book about a month ago and then wrote me. And we've been in touch. And, and I believe she's listening now. So I just want to say hello to you. And, and I hope that I'm saying your name right if I say Marise. It's M A R Y S C. Is that how you yes. would say it? It sounds right, okay, yeah. So, and again, thank you because she was very, she was very nice too and sweet. I know I was giving her some information about the show because she was asking some questions. So no, she was great. Really, she great. actually so, sings. I didn't know she also like likes to sing. And I saw a video of her about a month ago. She was down in, uh, I think it was Cape May with her husband. And all of a sudden, like I'm saying, I didn't, I, she had a video up there. I clicked the video and she sounded pretty good. I'm like, wow, she sings great. Cool. So that was a good video, Marisley. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So tell us a little bit about, I guess, uh, some of your upcoming shows. You know, where can people check you out? What are some of the upcoming events? Nowhere, that you nowhere. Have? You nowhere. can see me nowhere. I am, I am everywhere, and I am nowhere because, <laughs> like for instance, tonight this is a private event. I would love to say, yeah, come oh, on, see right. me. But this is some guy's, you know, house. But right. yeah, uh, let's see, like. So tomorrow I'm in a senior citizen center in like, I think, where am I? I'm Ewing Township. I think it's near Trenton. 
So, you know, the, all of these events, they're not open to the public. They're just having like right. a private thing. Right, I understand thing. what you're saying. And they, sure. You know what I'm saying? So, so people say, well, well, where can we, can we see you? So I said, all right, look, let's find a venue. Either it's in Manhattan or, believe it or not, I know so many people in Brooklyn and Staten Island that want to see me. And I was looking at the College of Staten Island. They have a theater there. I know Michael Amante had appeared there. And they'll have some, like, oldies groups, doo-wop groups going there. So I said, you know what? That might be a good venue. And that would be good just for friends, family, relatives, acquaintances to finally see the show. But it's not priority for me because a show like that takes more work on my part, you know, to to promote it. Whereas these other shows I don't have to promote. I just show up every day wherever I have to go, do my show. And often I'll do two and three shows in one day. So, wow. um, you know, so, so I'm not really interested in. I know, the, and doing the, right, and doing more of the kind of friendly things where friends can come see you play, because I'm sure, like you said, those are more difficult to do, and the pay is probably not the same as the ones that you're doing right now. Well, that's what I was trying to get away from for years, because that's what you do with those open mics and stuff. You you right. sing because you're desperate to sing, and then people come see you and you hang out, but you know, I don't have time for that. I'm like, I'm right. booking a show. I got bills to pay. I'm driving somewhere, doing a show. And, you know, and I, I bring my guitar with me. So um, I create all the tracks in my own studio. I've had my own recording studio since the early 90s. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I create the track. Sometimes a song will take 15 or 20 hours to create like a MIDI file. And then mm-hmm. I have like this, this elaborate radio-controlled remote. My van has a, a high-end uh ramp and a winch and I got a giant setup that just gets pulled up by the winch into the back of the truck and uh, you know a lot of people again they'll pull who me and say oh look at this guy he's like a truck driver he's like uh, you know but what can I tell you this is how I'm able to sing 300 shows a year and you know that's what yeah, I'll continue and make, to and do and make a good living doing it I mean you know what I mean I, I'm happy singing every day you know I, I, I do my stuff and uh, I don't know maybe something will happen for me maybe it won't but I'll never regret it. And, you know, the book is amazingly, uh, it's, I'm so grateful for the book. I mean, I've seen other people get movie deals. Um, I have to mention a Hugh Howie who wrote a book called Wool. It's a okay. sci-fi book. This guy released it as a short story in June of 2011. Today he was on the BBC cause he's in London. Uh, two days ago, he was in Berlin. He, he's got an agent. His book sold 400,000 copies on on Amazon. It's a self-published sci-fi book. He's got wow. Ridley Scott bought the rights to it, the guy that did Alien and all those other movies. They're making a movie. He was tweeting from the 20th century lot. He goes, I'm here on the lot. I mean, this is like a regular guy in his mid-30s, mm-hmm. self-published the book. And, of course, it's not going to happen to everybody. But just to see that happen to this gentleman and to see him – Facebook and every day I can't believe it I can't believe it I always like support the guy good for him right and then uh, I have another friend Marty Rooley who wrote a book about uh, Natalie Wood's tragic drowning in the early 80s and okay. uh, she's that uh, it's, it's called Goodbye Natalie Goodbye Splendor which was the name of the bo- a boat that she fell off of and uh, that book has just been picked up for a movie and she's a personal friend of mine so it's like Wow. Wow. There's two people that actually had a movie. And all these reviewers on Amazon keep reading the book, and they're going, Jerry, because that book is a movie, it's a movie, it's a movie. And I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, is. okay. I would love you know, to see somebody... the movie. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> you know, the I... people that have the talent. Who, if, it was, if it was turned into a movie, who would you want to play your character? Well, you believe it or not, so... well, I, I didn't give it. <laughs> I'm too old to play a 17-year-old. But um, the, the, the so one of the readers on Amazon had said, if they made a movie of this book, that guy from um, Heroes that played the evil guy should play Jerry Castaldo. It was he played the, in the new Star Trek. He played Spock. Okay. And America Horror Story. He was just on too. I I forgot his name. I can't think of his name now. Huh. But he All right. played. Spock in the new Star Trek that came out a few years ago. So then I, I had to Google the guy because, of course, I want to see who thinks I look like this guy. And then I was looking at him. I go, well, I guess. I guess if I was, you know, when I was younger, <laughs> I could have looked like that guy. You know, but well, it was funny to, to see people. To play you. You. We'll have to get someone to play you as you, you know, 
throughout your life stages as you go through, you know, getting older in the book and stuff like that. So you'd have to probably have a couple of different people. Or be like Stephen King when he shows up, like, in a tiny little cameo in one of his movies. You're like, hey, that's Stephen King. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Wow. So what do you think, what led you to the moment where you said, you know, because you had so many moments where, like you said, you were sober for a while, you were doing great, getting on the right track, and then as soon as it's kind of like you have things almost in the palm of your hand, you're out of control again. What led you to say, I've got to stop this, and I'm going to stop this. Well, let me say again that when I was 17 or 18, I was already trying to stop, and I just I didn't know right. how. And right. when I, you know, when I would would try, as I write in the book, I would be sober for, you know, well, you can't even really call it the word sober because, you know, a 12-step program or anybody else, you were never sober, you know, you were dry drunk. But, yeah, like for a month or two, I would, like, mm-hmm. They call it white knuckling it, where you don't touch any alcohol or drugs, but you know it's right there, and you're just waiting for an excuse. You know, if something bad happens or something good happens, hey, time to celebrate, or something bad happens, uh, and then you know you go back. So I, I just kept falling down, literally, as <laughs> you read, on my face, and mm-hmm. um, people started talking about AA, and I was like, I'm not going to AA. I, you know, I would get my alcoholic. Those people, uh, you know, and and. You know, not to give the book away, but I guess it's not really a, a spoiler for people who would want to read the book. Um, you know, I did finally surrender and say, hey, I can't do this alone. I, I need help. And I, I walked mm-hmm. into a room and I stayed there for just a little over a year every single day, you know, hours a day. And, and that did it, surprisingly. I mean, you know... Um, I always wonder if I should give away, like, I don't want to spoil the book for some people. Cause yeah, awesome and I don't surprises. want, I mean, there's so many other stories in it. I mean, you're just kind of, you're not even hitting, you, you know, just a little bit of the book. There's so much in there. And that's why, unfortunately, I can't remember everything. I mean, it was just so intense and so powerful and so many, you know, great moments and so many disheartening moments. So, yeah, I just want you to share a few highlights so people know, you know, what they're getting into. Well, well, when I was just talking to you, I felt like talking about the uh, death by subway chapter, which I don't want to. I won't reveal. Yeah, I don't want you to reveal that. That one totally sticks in my head. And let's just put it this right. way, well, Jerry. Well, <laughs> well, well, the reason I want to refer to it is I want to tell any listeners that um, you'd think that a horrific uh, incident or accident or event caused by drugs and alcohol would be enough to say, hey, now I've got to stop. It doesn't mean anything. You still go out. It it really takes some kind of um, inner spiritual awakening that is, that that just drives you, you know, in, in in a desperation like no other to either enter treatment like I had to, was the only, I was actually seeing a, um, a counselor twice a week and attending AA several times a day, every day for over a year. And that base got me there. But I didn't want to preach about AA in my book either because some people get turned off and it doesn't work for everybody. I mean, it's a great program, but, you know, if you start saying, yeah, yeah, AA, AA, then other people that have a drinking problem that might have gone into AA and it didn't work for them for whatever reason, you know, they might just feel like they're hopeless and, I don't think anybody's ever hopeless. Like when I see somebody, I don't care how down and out you are. As you read in my book, I was dead so many times, right. uh, you know, suicide so many times, hopelessness, so, you know, self-mutilation, uh, all of these things. And I feel like I'm pretty normal for whatever that means and, and stable and balanced. Uh, I'm an athlete. I mean, you know, I'm at the gym every day. I'm running every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not using, I feel healthy. I feel that, you know, I've got a life. I do have some problems with the, the injuries I sustained. Again, not to give away too much, but, you know, I'm walking around with the screws and the plates in my neck now. Wow. And uh, that's a challenge in the gym sometimes. But, you know, overall, right. I've got a good life. Not, not, nothing to complain about, in other words. Right. Well, I just want to, we're going to wrap things up in a couple of minutes. But, I mean, again, it's, you know, it's an amazing book and I can't, you know, tell people enough that they have to definitely purchase this book and, and check it out. It's it's really great. 
Well, let, let me just tell your listeners that, again, yeah. the book is named Brooklyn, New York, A Grim Retrospective. It's on Amazon, both in a paperback version and, and in a Kindle version. And uh, after um, New Year's, uh, I spoke with some people at Amazon, and we had a strategy to uh, discount the price just a bit, just a tad to okay. sort of spur on the Kindle. So the Kindle is, is dirt cheap. It's like 5 bucks. Paperback is like 8 bucks. And then it's also on Barnes & Noble in a Nook version for people who prefer the Nook device. And it's, all on, it's also on the Sony site. It's, it's available for the Sony e-reader. And that was, that was exciting because Sony contacted me directly, and they asked me if they could stop wow. my book. So I was like, wow. That, you know, that made me feel good. You know, and again, you don't, people think you, you may get rich off things like this. I might say one last thing if we have a minute here. Yeah, sure. This, is, this was the only kind of thing that's been disturbing the last month or two. I've had some of the uh, kid gangsters from my book, some of those kids that, you know, some of them have contacted me recently with, with, okay. with like, sort of in a threatening way. Like, like one of them, uh, you know, left me a message that, hey, Jerry, this is so-and-so. You know, smart people with nothing to say should keep their mouth shut. You know, and oh. this, uh, this guy just got out of jail after 18 years. Oh, He's yeah, just yeah. been out a few months. So, so, so that, that's the only drawback about writing a book about guys like this. They come looking for you. So, uh, you know, I, I found it amusing. Well, I posted safe. it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you don't hear from me again, you know what happened. But, you know, at oh, least Jerry. I got my story out there. Stop. You have to, don't end on a grim, <laughs> no pun intended, note. <laughs> you got so many great things going on. Oh. Thank you. Well, it's, I mean, and it's thank you for pleasure. having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure having you on, and I wish you much continued success with your book, and I do hope to see it in a movie format one day. Um, and please keep in touch with me. It's been great just, you know, interacting with you on Facebook, and hopefully we can meet in person one day. Okay, Carrie. Okay. All right, everybody out there, take care and have a nice spring. It's right around the corner. That's right. And much continued success to you, Jerry. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, have a great night. Thanks. All right, bye. All right, everyone, that was Jerry Castaldo and his book that he spoke about tonight, Brooklyn, New York, A Grim Retrospective, and just an amazing book, as I said. People have got to check this out. It is an emotional roller coaster ride. Um, so pick it up. Go to Amazon, as he said, or Barnes & Noble's. Also, I wanted to do a quick few plugs tonight. I know Jerry was really giving us a lot of information about his book, and I didn't want to interrupt him because he was uh, flowing so nicely throughout the show. So please check out Talent Spotlight Magazine. It's an amazing magazine. It features up-and-coming artists of today and tomorrow, everything from musicians, filmmakers, photographers. Uh, Jerry might even want to check them out. Go to talentspotlight.net. Um, I've had the honor of being featured in the magazine and uh, as well as I do some writing for some articles for the magazine. So please check them out. Really great magazine, really thorough, in-depth articles that uh, Jessica does who runs the magazine, Jessica Gilbert, just amazing person. Also, everyone, please be sure to check out Flirt Energy Drink, and this is a energy drink that is specifically formulated for the female athlete. You can check them out at flirtdrink.com. They are located in all the Harris Teeter stores, and uh, they're currently working on some new products. And again, it's been a pleasure working with them. Uh, they use my song, Vanilla Skies, off my debut album, Leave It All Behind, to support and endorse the product. Also, we were talking about Howard Stern tonight. If you want to check out some groundbreaking comedy, and these people are doing some really cool stuff, go to Davin's Den. It is a comedy show, and let me make sure I get all the names here because I've got to mention a few people. It's an um, awesome, fast-paced comedy show featuring comedians Davin Rosenblatt, Joe Curry, and Pip Helix. It's definitely a show that's going to make you think and laugh at the same time. They go live Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time to watch live episodes or hear and watch old episodes. But to find out more about the show, go to Davin's Den page on davincomedy.com, and that is spelled D-A-V-I-N. And also, I want to promote Quantum Design Lab. If anyone is looking for any type of website design, print services, T-shirts, logos, these guys do some amazing stuff. So please go to Quantum Design Lab. 
Com, some really cool stuff, and I'm going to actually be working with them in the near future to help me uh, build my website and develop a logo. So it's been such a pleasure again tonight. Thank you for tuning in. Everyone's been doing great. Please check out the podcast. I have probably over 150 interviews now. So if you're into comedy, filmmakers, authors, whatever it is, please preview and peruse the podcast, and you'll find some really cool people that I've had the pleasure and honor of interviewing on my show. Lastly, please follow me at Carrie Edelman on Twitter. If you follow me, I will follow you. And please become a fan of the Carrie Edelman Show on Facebook. It'll give you all of the updates for upcoming shows and events. Um, I also have two personal Facebook pages. One of them is maxed out, so find the one that's not. I love to keep in touch with people personally, too. And we have some cool upcoming guests um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, maybe even next week. I've got to see what's going to happen. But definitely tune in tomorrow, I mean Monday, next Monday night, which would be March, I think, 4th. I'm going to be having in the near future uh, the hard rock band Pansy coming on, amazing band out of New York. Uh, the comedian Claudia uh, Stavallo, she's going to be coming on. Just saw her this past weekend open for R.C. Smith who was on my show not too long ago and just an amazing female comedian. So we got lots of guests coming up, Tom Cotter and uh, hard rock band I Empire from Octane, Sirius XM Octane. They're going to be coming on. So it's going to be a great year. So thanks so much again for tuning into the show. Please check out Jerry. Go to jerrycastaldo.com and buy his book. Have a great night. And to close the show, everyone, we are going to – lead off with the song tonight, Leave It All Behind, which is the title track on my debut album. You can find it on iTunes uh, by searching Carrie Edelman. And I think this is appropriate for the show. We're talking about leaving things in our life behind. Jerry was talking about his drug and alcohol addictions, and we all have something in our life that sometimes we just want to let go and uh, make it uh, reside in the past. So check it out and have a great night.
it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.